Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. On this morning's show, I want to talk about soccer, and in particular, youth, high school, and travel team soccer. There are a lot of things changing these days in the world of youth soccer, and I want to spend some time discussing these developments. For example, last week, I mentioned in passing on the show that the U.S. Soccer Federation, uh, because of the pandemic, was shutting down all of its spring and summer activities, tournaments, and events. No surprise there. But this past week, rumors started to fly that the, uh, the Federation was also going to shut down its longtime development academy for talented soccer players. And indeed, this past Wednesday, that announcement was made. But it was unclear as to why the move to shut down the Development Academy, the DA, was done. Was it only due to the pandemic, or were there other reasons involved? Now, understand that for a number of years, high school coaches around the country have chafed at seeing some of their best players leave their high school varsity team to join a DA program. These programs have traditionally told high school players to Simply make a choice, either stay with the DA or you can go back to your high school team. But if you go back to your high school team, you're not coming back to our program. Now, this always struck me as a most difficult and, quite frankly, unreasonable decision for high school players and their parents. And at least from my perspective, it was an unnecessary move. And now, US, well, basically, U.S. soccer had always insisted that those 10 weeks in the fall, during the fall, the fall soccer season were essential to any youngster who ever had any hope to play in college or beyond, that they couldn't miss out on the elite DA coaching and competition during the the traditional high school soccer season. But was that position, was that point of view really accurate? In any event, 
I want to talk about this today because the DA program, you've probably heard if you follow soccer, was wiped out this week. A lot of things are in motion, uh, and there's a lot of confusion out there. And I want to welcome back to to the Sports Edge, uh, Matt Allen, the highly successful head coach of Byram Hills High School, uh, boys soccer in Ormont, New York. Uh, and, you know, I tell you, Matt's got some record. He's been the coach at Byram Hills for 19 years. He's won a state championship. Uh, he was New York State Coach of the Year in 2008. In 2016, he was a Northeast Coach of the Year. In 2017, a National Coach of Significance. He's uh, he presides as the president of the Section One Coaches Association for a little over a decade. Matt, this is quite a resume, and I know we've talked in the past about your concerns about the Development Academy. And good morning. It's good to talk to you. Uh, good morning to you, Rick. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Well, Matt, it's all true. Uh, it, you really have put together a tremendous, tremendous resume. Let's talk first about the, you know, the fact that there is this tradition uh, with the, uh, the Soccer Federation and the Development Academy. They always seem to, to rub high school coaches and subsequently the players the wrong way because it forced these top players to have to decide between playing for their high school team or playing for the DA team. Tell, tell me about your, your feelings about that and how, how it's evolved over the years when you, have you been coaching at Byram Hills. Right, I think the intention of the of the DA program is in is in the right, and the fact that it was supposed to take the, the top one percent of players and, and put them at a higher level, which which is understandable. You you want to make sure that you showcase them. Uh, the major issue through the years has been the idea that the MLS clubs, the twenty six MLS clubs, would have their would have their teams, and, and that would really be it. But what wound up happening was is they expanded so much to to before shutdown, 160 plus teams kind of watered it down a little bit. And what started to happen was, is a, I think a false set of goods was being sold to some of the average or above average soccer players to, to play in this academy system. And it was placing a drain on, on, on the high school programs and the surrounding clubs that were not necessarily regarded as academy. Uh-huh. Okay, so basically, as you said, uh, this was, was, was a sort of making false promises or uh, offering kids and their parents sort of a sense like, okay, if you come here, you're going to play against better competition. You'll get better coaching. You'll get better showcases. If the, if your youngster hopes to go on to play in college at some point or maybe turn pro. And now basically that's the DA is gone. Uh, Matt, this is a, uh, is this, is it say, is it, can I say to you, this is good news for you. Are you happy with this situation? Uh, yes and no. The the problem in folding up the academy system is that they really haven't given us parameters on wh- what they're going to do going forward. Uh, right. We don't know if anything else is going to step up and replace it. You know, one of the frustrating things from the DA was the fact that their age groups are broken up into 14, 16, and 19. So you're taking the average 14-year-old uh, before he gets to high school to make the decision as to whether or not he's going to play for this academy or play for, for high school. And so the decision was pretty much already made for them. You know, the issue really is is, is geographic. Our, our country is really big, and you only have 26 teams. So you're going to take a 14-year-old who's living in New York and have him shoot out to you know one of the new teams that's coming up, shoot him out to Charlotte uh, for for a game. And, and the answer really is no. So where what we're waiting for, I think, what a lot of the Section One high school coaches are waiting for is what are the academy teams going to do? Are they going to form their own league? Is the MLS going to form a league? Uh, for example, in New York, is, are the Red Bull going to form with, let's say, an FC Westchester and, and, and join a league here? 
and what type of a league are they going to run? Are they going to run it 12 months a year? Are they going to run it nine months a year? Well, that's exactly what I was leading up to, and we're talking with Matt Allen this morning. And friends, we'll take your calls about this because we're all sort of scratching our heads and confused as to what happens next. Of course, our number is one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. We'll take your calls and comments. Matt, what is going to happen? Because this went down. Now there's a vacuum. Uh, we obviously have the complications with with the pandemic, and nothing really happened in the spring or summer. Uh, and it looks like MLS is going to come in now and try to sort of fill this void. Uh, but I also know that the uh, the Elite Clubs National League, the uh, ECNL, which is traditionally known for its great women's programs, girls' programs, they want to join the fray. I know, especially on the West Coast, a number of the boys' uh, programs have, are joining with the ECNL. So what is going to happen? Who, who is going to come forth now and say, okay, forget the DA, that, that didn't work. We lost a lot of money on it. A lot of, this didn't make sense. Do you get the sense the MLS is going to come in now and sort of organize this and step up and say, okay, we'll we'll cut through all the, the clutter and, and figure this out so people know what's happening? Oh, well, we hope so. I mean, the, the local clubs in and around Westchester County, uh, New York Soccer Club, for example, has been pretty good in contacting and getting with high school coaches. Uh, we're kind of hoping that the model that they adopt is, is a nine-month model. I'm uh, kind of hoping that some leaders uh, on the U.S. landscape, like an Eric Winaldo, will will reach out. I mean, we know for sure that he's one that says the emotion of playing high school is so much more important than playing in these um, really fabricated games on the uh, the academy level. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really hoping that, I think, as spokesman for Section One, we're really hoping that the clubs will uh, allow the kids to play to play both and uh, and look to support one another. That would be probably our best case scenario yeah i mean i would think that does make a lot of sense uh look uh, obviously you've as i just alluded to in your your record you've coached and had great success at, at the high school level for two decades um i know over the years it had to be troubling to you when you put so much time and effort into developing young players and all of a sudden they get to a chance to really shine at the varsity level all of a sudden they say coach uh i have to decide and i think uh, my parents that playing for uh, the development academy is a better move up for my personal situation, but I really want to play for for my high school and and wear the school colors and so on and so forth. These were agonizing decisions, and I my, I always sort of thought, well, geez, it isn't like these kids are not doing anything for the ten weeks during the course of the high school season. They're actually out playing, competing, and being coached and 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 playing with their friends. I never understood how come the the, the federation people, the the DA people, thought it was so. You know, losing those ten weeks was crucial, and would somehow set back these kids and their and their progress. Yeah, and, and especially where you're from, too. Uh, I'm in Westchester County. It's a bit of an of an affluent county, and and we're surrounded by a couple of academy teams. I, I believe there's five academy teams within a 30 mile radius of where I am. So it's a bit of a status thing, too, that goes on with academy. I think you get a lot of players who may not necessarily be in the top 1%, maybe in the top 5%, 10% who are kind of lured into playing uh, in this league because it has a lot of status. Um, and that creates a little bit of a, of a problem as well, especially for the players uh, in high school who are left seeing some of their friends go off and play. And, yeah, it's, it's been a challenge in this county, especially, I think, for a lot of the, uh, for a lot of the teams because it's a little bit unknown, too. You don't know whether or not your player is going to go. They have to make the team and what happens when they don't. So mm-hmm. there, is, there is a lot of that 
as far as as far as the academies are concerned. Let's uh, let's take some calls for, for Matt Allen. Let's uh, let's go to Roger, who's calling this morning from Wisconsin. Good morning, Roger. You're on the fan. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Good. How are you? Um, all right. Good. So I've been watching what's happened with soccer. I'm a lacrosse guy. Yeah. And lacrosse kind of was sort of had the, the camel peek, peeking their nose under the tent with the same type of thing of starting, you know, this Uber program of, you know, putting the best with the best all the time. We have to do that 100% of the time when I thought your percentage earlier was right. 1% of the kids need to be in this program and the ultimate result of this is it hurts high school and it hurts multi-sport athletes and if you know i'm worried that soccer doesn't think multi-sports good which you preach on your show and i've also worried that they're going to wipe out high school sports if they keep going this way so that's wanted your opinion on that of multi-sport and you know uh, high school a, being in trouble over this yeah roger that's a good question uh, and, and thank you for the call uh matt what about that with kids uh in multi-sports because obviously you teach as well at byram hills and obviously you coach the boys soccer team what's your position on kids and and playing who want to play other sports during the course of the school year yeah i got to be honest the one problem another problem that uh, that academy forces you to play one sport as it's a full year uh, traction as, as a high school coach, and I think for the majority of Section One, we would recognize that the best athletes that we've had are three sport athletes. Uh, the better athletes that we have um, that don't get injured because they're training the rest of their bodies rather than just uh, just doing soccer training. Uh, I, for one, have been a huge proponent, uh, along with the football coach Doug Carpenter at our school, huge proponents of three sport athletes, and that's what we're trying to to promote. Um, purposely for, for me as a high school coach, uh, I always give my, my team the winter off, allow them to play, and I encourage them to run track or play lacrosse or do other sports. Uh, that would be another change, I believe, that the uh, getting rid of the academy system would help. But, but I do believe that if the clubs do step in, um, I do believe that they will encourage their kids to be playing uh, spring soccer, not necessarily playing spring lacrosse. So that's another thing we have to wait and see. Uh, what the clubs are going to do, and and at this juncture, you really nobody has reached out to to Section One. Uh, just a void, just a vacuum. No, no, there's no. I mean, I, I assume you're anticipating that at some point something's going to happen where somebody's going to say, "Okay, we've cut together uh, the, the the best people with the federation or with MLS, whatever, and we decided here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a nine month program. Uh, kids can do this, they can do that, you know." But at this juncture, there just seems to be with this uh, sort of sudden decision. Uh, although there were obviously rumors were going around for a long time about the development academies, it's just right now we're just nowhere, right? Yeah, I don't. I think the pandemic obviously threw a lot into disarray, but the announcement by the USA Development, the Development Academy to, to fold up um, was not necessarily um, reached. They didn't necessarily reach out to the academies themselves. I don't think they reached out to the clubs. I think uh, you received the announcement at the same time that the clubs received the announcement. So, again, there really isn't much of a, a plan in place. Uh, whether or not those uh, academies of the MLS will reach reach out to high school coaches is, is, is kind of highly unlikely. I'm a little bit of a pessimist with that. Um, but hopefully the local clubs that are around here, around where I live, will reach out to us, and, and hopefully we can come up with a plan together. 
Uh, back in 2007, I know that we held a meeting with, with leaders of FC Westchester, uh, which is one of the better clubs here in the area, and, uh, and they were really good in meeting with us. Uh, whether or not that will continue going forward, I, I don't know. No, this is a, another example of not really having this long-term plan as to what's going to be happening with soccer. You know, keep in mind that the academies are 14, 16, and 19 as far as age groups are concerned. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, one of the major detriments that goes against that is, well, where's the connection for the 7 through 14-year-old? Are, right. are those developmental clubs and those developmental teams, are they connected into the academy system? Are they playing the same formation, perhaps? Are they expressing the same philosophy? And you, don't really, you didn't really see that, and, and, uh, and that's part of it, another problem. Yeah, again, it just seems to be sort of like a, a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, and any, any parent uh, who's coming in who is a youngster who starts off playing soccer and likes soccer and is good at it, it gets very complicated very quickly as trying to figure out, okay, wh- what's the next move up the ladder? Is this the best program? Is this, is this the way to go? Uh, you know, we didn't talk, and we will talk about in the next segment about, you know, how, how these uh, academies were being financed, because I do, I've read some accounts that uh, they were losing millions of dollars the last few years. Uh, I'm sure that's part of the equation as well when it comes to why they're, they folded up their tent. But yeah, the, you know, parents need answers, you know, and it's as simple as that. All right, let me, let me take a time out. Um, uh, we're talking this morning with Matt Allen, a uh, longtime head coach at Byram Hills High School, boys soccer coach and head of Section 1. He's the president of Section 1 soccer as well. When I return after uh, these commercial breaks, I'll go back to your calls at one 337 6666. New York's fan, Sports Radio 101.9 FM. It's Sports Radio 66, WFAN. And back here on the Sports Edge, and we're talking this morning about soccer. And uh, even though everything in the world of sports has been shut down, there was news uh, of great significance this past week where the, uh, the Soccer Federation, the U.S. Soccer Federation, basically dissolved its uh, development academies, which have been around for, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Uh, and that was sort of the feeder program uh, for so-called elite players in this country. But as we've heard in the first segment, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of, well, I don't want to say misrepresentation, but let's say that people were sort of obviously eager to find out uh, how their youngster could get involved uh, on, a, on a DA team in order to propel themselves to college, maybe a pro career. We're talking with Matt Allen, longtime head coach at uh, Byram Hills Boys Soccer, very successful career there. He's also president of Section 1 Soccer in, in Westchester County and a few other adjoining counties. Uh, and we're taking your calls uh, about all this because, once again, it seems like – Soccer has obviously made tremendous progress. It's now accepted. It's popular sport in this country. And yet the leadership, it, it seems to be sort of going in circles. And they have a lot of uh, false starts and missteps. And it, it's confusing. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to our next caller. Is, uh, actually, it's Josh uh, Krzyzewski. He was the executive director of the Connecticut Junior Soccer Association. And uh, Josh's program oversees something like 60,000 kids in the state of Connecticut. And obviously, he's affected by this as well. Josh, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Josh, I mean, I'm, you heard our conversation with Matt. What, what's your take on all this, uh, what, what, what's happening with the DAs being wiped out? 
Yeah, right right out of the gate. I agree. I agree with Matt. I think the intent out of the gate uh, from U.S. soccer was was genuine uh, and authentic. I think at the end of the day, though, um, you know, although we tried to attract that top 1%, it did contribute to fracturing uh, our youth landscape, which unfortunately continues to get uh, more and more fractured. And I think at the end of the day, for all the uh, all the investment that was put into it, that return on investment hasn't exactly come to fruition. Uh, most recently, you know, our, our, our men's team missing out on the 2012-2016 Olympics, and then mm-hmm. ultimately the failure to uh, to get into the World Cup. And, and uh, Josh, the ages you, you oversee uh, in Connecticut. What what age brackets are we talking about? Oh, uh, we. I mean, as young as, unfortunately, as young as uh, three- to five-year-old programs. Uh, I mean, there's a program for everybody at this point, um, and some would argue that's not the best thing. But as young as three, and mm-hmm. then we go all the way up through uh, about the age of 19. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, the, the high school groups do not sit underneath us. That's governed differently. I see. And, and what, I mean, again, uh, you must be watching all this, as, as Matt is, and, and I am, and thinking, geez, why, why can't the powers that be sort of, Get the rack together. And now, okay, fine. You made a decision where the, the DAs did not really pan out as they had hoped. Okay, but what is the next plan? Now what do you do? And, and as I was just saying before the break with Matt, it, it just uh, is sort of like uh, the state of real, well, confusion. And you, your parents are scratching their head. Okay, at some point soccer, like all sports, will come back presumably in the fall. But what happens? Are we going to play for nine months of the year? Are we going to play a full year again? I mean, Josh, what would you recommend? What are you hoping that's going to take place? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know necessarily what I would recommend. I would agree with you that uh, parents were confused well before this decision last Wednesday uh, as far as the youth landscape and what is what and this is that and all that other stuff that comes along with it. Um, At this point, I think from the seat that I sit in, just some clear direction from the Federation as to you know, what is, what is an identification pathway that works for everybody? You're not going to eliminate all the different leagues, associations, and so forth that are out there. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that are benefiting from it mm-hmm. financially. That's not going to go away anytime soon. But there has to be a way to get players of common abilities in common environments <clears throat> for the best interest of development. And I don't know that we're doing that right now. I mean, every association has their own, you know, identification pathway, and, and who's to say that one is right and one is wrong? Even, even with the DA, a lot, a lot of people looked at it as those are the best players. Well, we know, if you look across the other associations, that there are good players there, too. Yep. Um, and we certainly know that there are many good players that aren't playing on any of these uh, pay-to-play programs because they quite simply, you know, don't have the means to do so. So... Although we were sold that, or parents have been sold that, that this is the best pathway for you, or that might be the path, uh, the best pathway for, for the other one, I don't know that there is a clear one at this point, and I think that needs to be a priority. I think they can all, I think they can all survive and do what they're doing, but at some point, for the best interest of player development, we do need to bring them together in some consistent way. Matt, uh, do you agree with Josh's assessment? Yeah, you know, I, I think Josh brings up some good points. I I think, again, I think geography is, is such a big issue here. Um, you know, one of the biggest inequities is that, you know, you're a player from Westchester, you're going to be able to attract a bunch of different 
academies, but if you live in the upper state of New York or you live in a rural part of, let's say, Pennsylvania, you may not get seen. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that has happened is that there are showcases that are around the country. There's, there's the Dallas Cup. There's uh, a showcase out in San, San Diego. 400 teams will, will go to that. And, you know, that, that's what needs to happen with the connection with high school teams and high school players. They, they have the opportunity to go to those showcases with their clubs and they show that they're just as good as quote unquote an, an average uh, academy, academy player. So yeah, I see what, what Josh is saying. I also like the idea that he's, talking about the identity of of usa soccer you know one of the major flaws that i would say is is what is our identity here you know we did lose uh, out on the 2012 2016 games as he mentioned but when you look at usa soccer what what's our style of play how do we how do we go about putting together a team and what's our consistency it's very different from let's say the italy and the and the dutch world and, and brazil where they have a specific identity we haven't really been shown that uh from high school through clubs to the academies as to what direction our program is supposed to be going in. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's well said. Hey, Josh, uh, thank you so much. i got to take some more calls, but uh, thank you for your insights this morning, Josh. That's great. Great. Thank you, guys. Thanks, thank Josh. You. That is, again, Josh uh, Krasuski, Executive Director of the Connecticut Junior Soccer Association, as you just heard he said. He's, he's confused, as I guess most everybody is in the world of soccer, particularly at the youth level, and you know, as Matt Allen just pointed out, it'd be nice if the American program had a an identity. Or, or I mean, if you look at a Brazilian team, you know they're going to bring a lot of flash and, and a lot of rock and roll to their play, a lot of individual uh, talents. Uh, obviously, the Dutch are, have their own flair. Same with the Italians, the Spanish. But Americans, we really haven't developed that 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 sense yet. And I guess that that that's a problem because without any real solid direction of what we're looking for with our program. You know, you don't really know where you're going. It, it's hard to get there. <laughs> so that's a concern. Let's uh, let's continue, Matt, with our calls. Let's go to uh, our to Jack Smithlin, Hall of Fame coach over in New Jersey. Jack, good morning. You're on the fan. How are you, Rick? Um, now, Jack, I you know, know you coach soccer it, it, for a long time, so this is uh, I, mean, I know this is <laughs> near and dear to you as well. Yeah, it, when I first started coaching, uh, your two your two callers before or your two guests probably weren't even born yet. So, um, you know, when I coached, there were no such things as club teams or anything like that. It was high school was what was the top. It was the, those were the elite players. Those were the guys who got into colleges, you know, and then soccer started these, these club teams or what, what we call maybe a scout team. Um, you know, one of my players, I, I spoke to you the other day, one of my players at Pope Pius High School, which no longer exists, in 1975. Um, he went on to be a big-time goalkeeper, played with the Cosmos a little bit and the Arrows indoors with Shep Messing. He became um, a big executive, the uh, vice president and commissioner, I believe, of the MLS. And, um, you know, he's now into lacrosse. He's now the commissioner of the new uh, professional uh, lacrosse league. But also one of my best friends is a, he played for the Washington Diplomats, and he put me in touch with a site yesterday that really explained a lot of what you're questioning, you know. And, and both of those people, Nick Sakevich was the uh, is now with the Lacrosse, was with the MLS. He was the he was the president of the Metro Stars. Actually designed the stadium in Harrison, um, the the soccer stadium where the Red Bulls play, but. Mm-hmm. He, they, you know, Mark, 
Grabo was the strength and conditioning coach for the Golden State Warriors who trained a lot of the soccer players. He played professional with the Washington diplomats. So he gave me a site, and and I was hoping that Nick would call me back uh, before today's show, but he didn't. He's on the road. But there's a lot of confusion, and even the two of them that were involved with the MLS and the NASL, you know, back in the Cosmo days, they were always confused. They didn't have, the, you know, there's so many governing bodies, it seems, in, in youth and, and developmental soccer that, um, you know, nobody knows where anybody's going. But what happened with this, with the, with the USSDA, the Developmental Academy, you know, folding, the MLS is said that they're going to take it over. They're going to take over the elite players from those, from that program. They're going to form what they call uh, let me quote it, the new elite competition program where they're going to select players from the academy. They're going to join with a lot of the professional club teams. Um, they have these scout teams that they call them or developmental teams that will that, that play each other, and these are elite players. They, too, say that a kid cannot play in high school if they're going to join these teams. But what happened, what Mark Grabo told me was that it got so exhausted, the same way we're looking at our club baseball programs of, you know, yesteryear it was the elite programs. You know, now it, it got so crazy, and like you call it, the wild, wild west, nobody controlling anything, that there's, you know, I remember 15 years ago there were two club teams in Bergen County, two club baseball teams in Bergen County. Now there's 30. Yeah. I mean, well, and their money, it's about a money thing. But well, Jack, let me, let me real just... Quick, yeah. I was going to ask you, and Matt, Matt Allen, mm-hmm. the kid, the parents pay for these things. I mean, the parents pay for these kids to be on these programs, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, Jack is correct that these these kids are going to be are paying to play, and that's where the MLS has a little bit of an advantage in the fact that their academies are not pay to play. They have enough finances to pay for the kids, right. and, but the other academies exactly. that's around it are the ones that are going to be paying. Now, now keep in mind. That article that you're referring to, the, the MLS needs uh, academy teams that have already been formulated to compete against, or else yep. they're going to have 14-year-old kids shooting across the country to play against the other 26 teams. Well, soon there'll be 30 teams um, to play, so they're going to need those, those programs to, to join in. But it sure would be nice if there was yep. a little more clarity as to what happens next. And, and, uh, and, and Jack, uh, I, I thank you for your call this morning because obviously you, you've seen this history and obviously you, you've been involved and coached some of the top execs. But it, it again, it is sort of a wild, wild west. And now this new development. And, and Jack, thank you for the call as always. Matt, this is this is really chaos. I mean, it's, um, you know, parents, coaches, they're still wondering what happens next. Uh, do you have any sense at this juncture as to when this might get resolved? I mean, I guess well, nothing's going to happen until probably the fall, right? Well, for parents, for parents, this is hard because, especially the kids that were on academies that are now seeing their teams uh, possibly fold up. You know, a lot of these parents to these players are uh, are being sold on the idea that they're going to be receiving some sort of college scholarship. And I think that's the that was what was always being hang, hung over the heads of these parents who kind of had the kids who were tough making these decisions. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember that you know, soccer programs on D one level are only you know, 11 scholarships are going to be given out, and uh, the, the numbers really don't match up as far as the academies are concerned um, at all. And so now these parents are going to be stuck 
um, especially for, for a kid who's going to be an incoming senior, like what does he do now and how is he going to come back onto a team that's been established for three years where the social relationships have already been formed, where the relationship with the coach has been formed. And so how is that going to transpire? It really puts parents in a, in a tough spot uh, as to when the time, as to what the timeline is going forward. Uh, I'm not sure. And again, I, I think COVID-19 has put um, a lot of uncertainty into the fall season as well. So um, there's a lot of what ifs and wait and see approach that we're going to have to take. Uh, are you hearing from your players? Uh, yeah, I, I, I hear from my players on a, on a regular basis. Actually, it's one of the more enjoyable things that, that I have. I like to, to I communicate constantly with my captains and also talk to talk to them on, on Google Zoom and, and uh, get to meet them. But it's not the same. I don't get to see them in person. You know, I love my Bobcats, and I don't get a chance to, to talk to them and see them on a regular basis. But, uh, <laughs> you know, look, we more important things, right? I just want their families to be healthy. I want us to be healthy. So, um Hopefully, I'll, I'll get to see them in August and September, and we'll go forward from there. All right, Matt, let me, let me take another break. Uh, we're talking with Matt Allen. We're talking about what's happening right now in the world of youth and amateur soccer. It obviously, it, we just it seems to go around and around in circles, and with the, uh, the, the, the basically the development of caddies being shut down, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of concern, what happens next, and so on and so forth. Let's take a timeout. Uh, and, of course, we'll take your calls at one 337 6666 When I return, I go back to your calls. Stay with me. We'll go back to my guest, uh, Matt Allen, talking about what's happening in the world of soccer. Uh, and uh, Lou from Lindbrook, you'll be up next in a moment. But I will remind you first that Mike Francesa comes along at 9 o'clock this morning. Of course, Mike with his thoughts and insights on the world in which we now live. And, of course, Mike will be talking, I'm sure, about the NFL draft. But I have to take a moment to pause and reflect about my good friend, Dick Caswell, the longtime owner and general manager of the New Rochelle Robins, passed away a few days ago. Dick was 88. He died from natural causes not related to COVID. Dick Caswell, who played baseball in high school and college, was a proud graduate of St. Louis University, the Billikens. Well, he ran the Robins for 64 years. A lifelong bachelor, the Robins were his passion and his family. And I could spend the entire hour listing all the endless league championships and prestigious tournaments that the Robins won over the years. But trust me, all you have to know is that Dick Caswell's New Rochelle Robins were the truly dominant team in semi-pro baseball in this area for decades and decades. The Robins were the team to beat in the Westchester Baseball Association, the Stanford, Connecticut Twilight League, and the Long Island Baseball Conference. And in the postseason national tournaments, Dick's Robins took home a lot of trophies. Now, I played for Kaz and the Robins for 10 years after I returned from playing in the Tigers organization. Every guy in our lineup had either played pro ball or had been a top college ball player. Guys like Harry Greenfield, Steve Brose, Joe Mazzella, Mike Mooney, Mike DeLillo, Bobby Ryder, Mike de Blasio, Jim Schultz, and on and on and on. And I was thrilled when my own son, John, played for the Robins for several years once John had returned from his own pro career. The old joke was not whether the Robins would win. Rather, it was just more accurate to ask how much they would win by. 
<laughs> Dick Caswell never turned anybody away. If you wanted to be in the Robins, you just showed up in City Park in New Rochelle on game day, got into a Robins uniform, and you waited again to a game. And the Robins, well, they were indeed a cocky bunch. We knew we were good. But ironically, Dick Caswell was a gentle man and a kind man. He was more of a peacemaker than an antagonist. And for him, it was always more important that the games go on. And sure enough, he spent his entire life providing great fun and great camaraderie for ballplayers who love the game of baseball as much as he did. I also want to note the passing of former New Rochelle Robin, great Fred Gallo. Freddie was a top hitter for the Robins for many years and did a tremendous job as well as the longtime head coach of the Iona Prep baseball team. Again, Iona Prep being one of the premier teams in our area. Dick Caswell and Freddie Gallo, two baseball lifers. Okay, let's continue our conversation with Matt Allen. Let's go to, as promised, Lou and Lindbrook. Lou, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Hi, Rick. I just want to say I'm sorry to hear about the passing of Mr. Caswell and Mr. Gallo. They sound like great people, just like yourself. Well, thank you. So, they, were, they, were, they were both legendary people. Thank you. Now, Lou, I know that you're a soccer guy, so I was waiting to right. get your call. What do you make of all this? Uh, what's well, happening? I'm going I, I'm to start with this. When I played soccer, we used to have guys like Gordon Bradley, who coached the Cosmos, sure. come and uh, recruit for my uh, soccer program. We used to have a very strong, one of the best programs in the state and uh one thing i'm going to say is this that i've been coaching in the inner city uh on the college level for many years i've had some great teams one thing the developmental teams forget about they forget about the inner city kids because the parents can't afford to pay for these developmental teams and uh the kids miss out on this so that's one of the things and secondly i'd like to say that these developmental teams, they make false promises for full scholarships to the academy players for college. The facts are very few players, very few players receive full scholarships to play soccer in college. Sure. And now, and now I think what's going to happen here is that uh, the high school players have been forgotten. But now, since the developmental teams are going to be out of the picture, I think more college coaches are going to pay attention to the high school teams and come and recruit there. And I think that's a, going to be a big a big improvement, big change for all the high school so, teams. So, so you see this, happy Lou, to hear that. You see this as more of a uh, an opportunity for equality, sort of, uh, sort of uh, equalizing the, the situation. Because with inner city kids who obviously love soccer as well, but don't have the financial wherewithal to play on a, on an academy team, these kids are not going to have a chance to show what they can do, and maybe the the word will get out that there's real good talent in the city as well. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, uh, yes, I am. And also, I'd like to say that. A lot of these teams in Westchester, Long Island, uh, Suffolk County, there's a lot of great players that are being overlooked in the past because a lot of these uh, college coach, uh, excuse me, a lot of the college coaches are going to these uh, uh, to, to watch academy teams play, and they're going to their showcases, and I think that they're making a big mistake. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully things will correct themselves, and the kid, the kids in this area will get their true chance because they're the ones that really deserve to be. To, to have a look at to get a college so- soccer scholarship. Uh, I, I hear you loud and clear, Lou, and thank you for the call this morning. And, and Matt, I'm sure you probably feel the same way, right? About you know, th- th- there's always been though this pay for play situation has been at the heart of these academies. It's always made it for for a rather unequal playing field. Uh, absolutely, um, 
you know, you look for for every kid that's going to be playing academy and go off to college. There's there's high school kids that are that are missed. You know, we play up at uh, MLK in the city, and there's some players there that are absolutely amazing. Should be playing academy, but if you look at the track record of some of our best players coming out of Section One, you know, Jack Beer of Armonk, you know, just won national title at, right. at Georgetown. Yep. You know, Johnny Johnny Dennis is cap is captain of Columbia. He's he played at Lakeland High School. So there's a lot of players. Um, that don't necessarily need the academy to go off and play uh, college ball. Isn't that how this sort of changed, uh, Matt, when you were coaching the last few years at Byron, where all of a sudden the, your really top players sort of said, you know, I've been to showcases. Uh, colleges have already reached out to me. I'm not sure I, I need this anymore, the academy. I can uh, just play at Byron and, and, and play uh, in other programs, and it's not, it's not going to set me back. Obviously, the two examples you just gave, these are kids who have gone to be top college players, including national champs. Right. One, one of the trends that we actually found, uh, you know, Coach Tim Horahan, myself, uh, who are kind of like the spearhead of Section 1, one of the things that we've noticed is that a lot of the kids will play you know, one or two years at age 14 and 16 will play academy and then will all of a sudden decide they're going to play uh, uh, high school ball as a senior or, or once they get into college, they're going to leave the academy and come back and play as a senior. So um, there's a lot of inconsistency with that With that going forward. The, the idea that kids are going to be making decisions once they're within the high school setting as to where they're going to go and, and what they're going to do. And But for every player that would do that and for every player that would – um, come back to the high school. There was also the kid that at the end of his sophomore year would say, you know what, I'm leaving to go play for like a beachside academy up in Connecticut, or I'm leaving yep. to go play at Albertson and travel 45 minutes and pay to play rather than play for Byram Hills, which has done fairly well on the high school landscape. And just to be very clear, because I meant to ask you this before, Matt, what kind of money are we talking about here for a kid to play on, on, a, on a local academy team? Well, it depends. Um, I would say, on average, you're talking at least ten to twelve thousand dollars a year uh, to not just take care of um, the league fees and referees and, and all those things, but also uh, most of the payments going to come through. Uh, it's going to come through for travel expenses. Uh, that's really the unwritten thing. You know, I, I had a player who was also time-wise on on a Tuesday and Thursday was traveling an hour to an hour and fifteen minutes after school on Tuesday and Thursday to go down to the to Harrison, New Jersey. Uh, so it's not just the financial, it's also the, the time that you're putting in, which takes away from your school, takes away mm-hmm. some time with your friends, from being involved in other activities, high school clubs. You know, that's really the the payment that's really not being calculated. Yeah, I, I, I that's what I really wanted to get to because not just, of course, the ten or $12,000 for this, you know, year-round commitment, uh, a lot of practice time, you know, a lot, a lot of games on the road, but also just to get there, the, the time is, where a kid could be, I mean, instead of just, you know, in a car, you know, could be studying or working on their academics or developing other interests in their life. It, it's, it's a huge commitment, and it's all predicated on the hope that maybe the kid might get a, a, a college scholarship, or I guess with most uh, soccer uh, scholarships, uh, they're sliced and diced, just like they are for college baseball or college softball. Um, and it's, it's a, just a, a real, it's a lot of money and a lot of time and the hope that it might actually pay off. It, it's, um, it, it, it is, uh, I know that it's the same kind of concerns in other sports like, like ice hockey and, and baseball and lacrosse. But at least it always seemed like, okay, I was making an advancement and I have a better sense of what's happening. But with the soccer, basically having their development academy and so many of them, is like, how's this going to pay off? And again, as you just mentioned, the kids uh, from the inner city, 
they can have great talent, but if they don't have the financial wherewithal to do these things, uh, it's going to be difficult to, to make the next step. Right. You're selling these kids on, on D1 scholarships. Also, um, you're not even taking into account the amount of schools that are playing, you know, D3 schools, which a lot of the kids will um, hopefully wind up playing, which are, you know, upper level schools like your, um, like your Jumbos from Tufts and, and Oneonta are just as good as some of the low level D1 programs. You know, we, high school showcases like the one in the Hudson Valley showcase that's held over at Lakeland High School, they attract these coaches and these kids are being found on the high school level, don't necessarily need to have uh, academies or clubs uh, to be playing in. Well, I mean, it's, it's going to be a whole brave new world when all this gets sort of, uh, you know, figured out and somebody comes forth from MLS or the Federation and says, okay, here's the next step. Here's how we're going to do this. Here's what kids and parents need to know uh, and trying to figure out uh, how to get this all sorted out. Matt, I, I, I don't know, Matt. It's going to be, again, um, I hope it's not more false starts and missteps. I hope this actually gets to a point where things really sort of figure out where what's the right direction to go. And, and it becomes more inclusive where it's not so much about just pay for play, but I, I worry that's still going to be part of the process. Well, the USA Soccer's got some things to work on. Uh, the resignation of their recent uh, president, the, the lawsuit currently that's impending with the with the women's team, the women's program. Yep. Um, there's a lot of instability right now. We're looking for some really good leadership and, and some guidance to hopefully put together an identity for our sport, an identity in the country, and to give us a plan, not just for 14, 16, and 19-year-olds, but for a plan that would go from the development of a 6-year-old all the way up. And, and if we could kind of connect and get some of the top coaches together, uh, high school coaches too, because uh, they're just as good and, and, and trained just as much, um, we'll be much more successful going forward. Well, speaking of leadership and guidance, uh, yeah, Matt Allen is, ha- is one of those rare people who has just taken over a great soccer program at Byram Hills and has led it to great success. Uh, Matt, uh, I-, I thank you so much for getting up early this morning to join me and talk about what's going on in the world of soccer and obviously continued success uh, with the Bobcats. Thank you for having me on, and uh, stay healthy, everyone. You too. Thank you, Matt. Again, that's Matt Allen, longtime head coach of Byram Hills uh, Boys Soccer in Ormont, New York. And uh, as you heard, he's, he's on top of this. Hopefully he can take us, hopefully he and his colleagues can take us out of the woods when it comes to the world of soccer. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Brian Roscona. Please stick around for Mike Francesa. He's up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.